Man, I, uh, I get it. Sitting, standing, hearing the voices of God's people sing praise back to him. I, I get why the psalmist says better is one day. Better is one day in your course than a thousand elsewhere. Man, where else can we come that a holy God would, would accept broken people? We can lift up our hands to a holy, perfect, righteous God, our dirty hands, dirty from this past week, dirty from our own thoughts and actions. And man, Christ reaches out and grabs them, <laughs> and he draws us close. Better, better is one day than a thousand elsewhere. Open your Bibles to James chapter 4 as we continue in our series, uh, Living Faith. Continue to walk through the, the book of James and understand what it means to have a faith that is alive, not a dead faith. Not a faith that is secluded to one day a week. Not a faith that resides in the 9 to 1030 hour, but it breaks free on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It's the kind of faith we want. James chapter 4. Beloved, you've probably heard a lot of opinions this last week, I imagine. A lot of thoughts. A lot of ideas. But now, beloved, hear the word of God. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God, or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? But he gives greater grace, my Lord. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and one judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Man. 
Pastor Stephen, how are you going to grow a church plant preaching James chapter 4? <laughs> Let's pray together and ask God for his help this morning. You were, you are, and you will be forever. Holy, holy Lord. Lord, we need you to speak. We need you to speak to us. So many voices, so many distractions, but you're greater. You're able to break through, and we need you to break through this morning and by your spirit, oh Lord, that envies intensely would you take your word and plant it deep within our hearts. Don't let the cares of this world or the adversary or our own lives root that word out, but may it bear fruit, much fruit. All to your glory, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Story is told, beloved, of, of a man who was flying his private jet all by himself. And he got stranded on a desert island. Stranded there for 10 years. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, another charter plane comes overhead, sees this deserted island with one man living on it, and it sort of hovers down and it comes down and it sees this man. And the man says, I'm so glad you're here. I've been stranded here for 10 years all by myself. So the pilot of the plane asked the man, he says, Man, so glad, glad we found you. He said, I, I'm wondering, though, I see three buildings that you've built. He said, what are those three buildings for? The man said, oh, the, the first building you're looking at, that's my home. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't live on a deserted island with all the elements, the rain and the cold, without building a space for me to live. The pilot said, what, the second building, what's that? He said, oh, you know what, I, I had to worship God. So the second building is a church. I built a church for myself. Had to worship. I know I'm all by myself, but I had to build a church building to worship Christ. And the man said, well, the third building, what's that? And the man said, oh, that's the second church I built because I didn't like the people and the leadership of the first church. <laughs> Beloved. Church is not perfect. Church is not a perfect place, but how Christ designed it, beloved, it is a perfecting place. It, it does draw us closer to Jesus Christ. We, you, I, we're, we're not perfect. But he uses our imperfections in some miraculous way to draw us closer to himself. Rather, to put it another way, the church isn't perfect, y'all, because we're not perfect. But the church will be perfect because Christ is perfect. I don't know why, you know, we talk about RCC being a, a church plant, and I, I don't know why you all came to a church plant, right? Maybe, maybe it's because you, you're sort of fleeing from a lot of church hurt maybe that you've experienced in the past. 
And maybe it's sort of the understanding that, man, if I just try out a, a new church, a new church plant with, with no baggage, no history, maybe it, it will be different. And, and y'all, I, I say to you with, with grieving in my heart that what you have walked into is a place full of broken people, a place full of imperfect people. It's not a matter of if, but when. The Bible tells us when. When will... God's people hurt each other. And so we resolve sort of as a church plant that it's not like, hey, Lord, we want to protect from everything that happens. We know as, as broken people fill this place, things are going to happen. But how do we resolve those things? By the grace and mercy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we open up the book of James, chapter 4. And James is sort of a pamphlet. Sort of a how-to of dealing with a bunch of broken different people, how to resolve issues, how to go about them, how to flee to the cross of Calvary, how to keep going back to Jesus Christ and keep going back to Jesus Christ. The context of James, y'all, you must understand, is as James is writing to this people group that's dispersed, is that James's congregation, his audience, is filled with a whole bunch of different people. He writes about it on a regular basis, the rich, the poor, married, unmarried, single, those who teach, those who don't teach, those who desire to teach, those who have, those who have not, Jews and, and Greeks and Gentiles, different ethnicities, all these differences congregate on a regular basis in James's church. And if, if that sounds familiar, well, because that's kind of like how we were as RCC when we launched this thing. So we are. This is a beautiful group of people. Who launched Redemption City Church. <laughs> I had to, y'all. I'm sorry. I had to. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. It was this. There was life. So glad to, to open up my Facebook feed and not only see Democrats, but Republicans and black and white all posting the same meme. It was like, man, Christ is good. The context of James is the context of the city of South Bend. Very similar. What happens when you have all these different people groups com combining, coming together, meeting on a regular basis? Well, what you have, y'all, is a whole bunch of issues. What you have is a lot of diversity, a lot of working through, a lot of striving through. And what James and I, I argue the rest of Scripture, what it shows is that, is that y'all, we don't default to diversity. We default to what's comfortable for us. We default to what we want. And James in chapter 4 is going to try to blow that whole thing up. Man, could you, could you imagine if, if like three years ago I told you, if I were to say to you, hey, you know, in a couple years, y'all, you know, some of the same people that you're worshiping Christ with, some of the same people that you're, you're taking communion with, taking the Lord's table with, some of the same people that saw you get baptized and saw your kids get baptized. Some of the same people who 
helped you in a time of need, prayed over you? If I would have told you a couple years ago that those same people would be divided by a mask, you would have laughed in my face. If I would have told you those same people who cried together and weep together and mourn together and rejoice together would be divided over politicians they have never met in their entire life, but have met the same Jesus Christ, if I would have told you two years ago, you would have laughed in my face. How fragile, brothers and sisters, unity is. How fragile diversity is. But James says we have to find a new default system. We have to default to the people of God. We have to default to relinquish our freedoms if it will serve you better in Jesus Christ. So James chapter 4 is going to dive into that. First point, three. Our own control passions. Spiral, brothers and sisters, because of our undisciplined prayer life. Verses 1 through 3. James asked the question, what is, what is the source of wars and fights among you? What is the source? Where is it coming from? My wife and I moved from the northern suburbs of Chicago, and we moved last year to plant Redemption City Church, and we, we decided it was a good idea to buy an older home, a house that was over 100 years old. I don't know what led us to that decision nor why we did it, but we did, right? First night in the home, I'm upstairs. My wife comes running upstairs. Babe, there's a leak in the house. The kids are saying, it's raining. It's raining in the dining room. Man, it's raining on the inside? Come quickly. So we, we had to figure out what, what the source was. Because you know anything about a leak, you know, it, it can come from the other side of the house. You know, water is always going to find the low point, right? So we, we couldn't just fix that issue. We had to find the source of where this problem was coming from. And James is going to help us out. He's going to tell us what is the source of all of our issues. And if you ever played that game, hotter or colder, the, the, the further you get away from the answer, the colder you get. Oftentimes as Christians, when we look for the source of our issues, we're looking out there. We're looking at somebody else and James is like, colder, colder. Well, wait, wait, and we're slowly turning the finger. James is like, warmer, you're, you're getting warmer. And, and as the finger goes to our own heart, James is like, ding, 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 you're hot, you got it. The source of wars and fights among you, James says, it comes from within you, from your own passions. What is the source, James says? It, what? You don't have to look far. Just look inward. This word that James uses for, for passion is, is a word that we get our English word hedonism from. Hedonism is this, this belief that my pleasure is the most important thing in life. What I want is the most important thing in life. In layman's terms, putting what we want, what you want, what I want above every other consideration, above every other thought. In other words, my way. I, I want it. I, I want it. My way. I mean, man, Frank Sinatra and Usher made a song about it. I, I want it my way. It's a lot of, so, it's a lot of worldly references in this sermon. I got I to break free. It's like, <laughs> we, we want it 
We wanted our way. I got to find some way, y'all. That's a hard sermon. Y'all got to find some way to lighten it. We, we wanted our way. Think, just think about it for a moment. Think about the last argument or fight you got into. Just, just pause and say, man, what, what caused that? And I, and I imagine, I know what it was, but I, I imagine that that started or perpetuated or continued because something didn't go exactly the way you wanted it to go. Something didn't happen that you wanted to happen. So an argument fight. You, you didn't do the chores like I asked you to do or the way I wanted you to do the chores. You didn't respond to my emotions the exact way I wanted you to. You brought home crunchy Cheetos instead of Cheeto Puffs. God forbid. Think about it. The last strife was it not because you wanted things to work a certain and exact way, and when they didn't, your passion started to flare up. I want it my way. If I don't get it that way, well, James says wars and fights start to rage up in us. But beloved, James is writing to he's writing to Christians like you and I. There are passions still at war within of all of us, brothers and sisters, still have a little earth left in us. We're not perfected yet. We will. Christ is going to do it, and he's slowly doing it, and one day in glory he's going to do it. But right now, man, there's, there's still some earth in us. There's still some passions in us. And James says they're, they're at war. And y'all, the, the reason why they're at war within us is because you know this from just living life. Your passions and my passions are so fickle. They, they change so often. It's a moving target. One day I want this, but then the next I can't stand that thing. One moment I desire this with all of my heart, but then a year from now I'm sort of, you know, I've lost interest. We think we want it, James says, but then we get it and realize, man, I didn't, I didn't want that. And then the process starts all over again. In order to get it, James says, man, in order to get what we truly desire, we, we sort of use and, and abuse everyone around us to get what we think our heart wants. Notice what James says, which it should sort of jump out the page off at you. James says you, you do all these things, and then you still cannot obtain it. Grasping at fog, grasping at mist. You, you try, and you struggle, and you still don't get it. No need to raise your hand, but let's do a little just... Interaction here. Who in this room has given everything for their career? Who has sacrificed everything, family, friends, church, everything? Has it satisfied you? Did it work? Who in this room has given everything for money? I have to earn more. I have to get more, 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 more. Has it, has it satisfied you? 
as a work. You in this room who have given yourselves over to sexual sin time and time and time again, y'all, is it working for you? Is it helping? James says, look, we grasp the king, we cannot retain. In this room, you who have sort of just sold yourself over to politics, has there been a man or a woman who has done everything they said they were going to do besides Jesus Christ? We, we grasp. And then as soon as we get it, it crumbles in our hands. We can never obtain it. So James wants to remind us in James chapter 4 that the seed of desire oftentimes brings the fruit of death. It does. We, we, we die, y'all. We Seek those things that never fulfill us, never satisfy. But James reminds us, you can keep doing that, but you're never going to obtain it. And James sort of hits us right between the eyes. And he says the reason why this is, this is going on, the reason why your, your passions are at war within you is because of our undisciplined prayer lives. Did you catch that? It's almost like James said it in passing in verse 2 and following. Like you have these wars, these passions within you, and then James says the reason why you don't get because you're not asking. Man, that's, that is amazing to me. We have to understand sort of as context, y'all, that, you know, Christianity is, is not just not doing the wrong thing, but it's turning to the right thing. Repentance is not just turning from your sins, it's turning to Jesus Christ, right? It's not just stop doing that, but we got to put something better in its place, and that's Jesus Christ. So when we get to this part about passions and desire and seeking our own will, it's not just, y'all, stop doing that, stop giving in to your passions. James is like, go to the throne of God. You don't have because you're not asking. You don't have because you're not praying. I love the illustration that Leah gave one of our sisters in the body when she was giving her testimony about she tried it this way, but then she figured out, man, I need to go to the throne. I need to wrestle with God if I want to get this thing done. And that's what James is, is sort of doing. He's like, you're, you're waging war within yourself. You're grasping, you're, you're taking, you're coveting, you're warring because you're going to the wrong source. And then James, sort of like a physician of our hearts, man, James knows us because the Spirit knows us. James sort of teases that out. He, like, why don't you ask? You, have, you don't have because you don't ask. Have we ever sort of paused and say, well, man, James, why don't we ask? Why don't we go to God and ask him for what we want? In my own life, I, I think there's a, a few steps. And I, I'm preaching to myself now, so if you find application, fine. But I'm just preaching to myself. There's some steps that we sort of go through the reason why we don't ask. And one of the things in my life, the reason why I don't ask God, is because I knew in my heart of hearts I didn't need it. 
sort of preventative. Like, Lord, I, you know what? I ain't even going to bother you with this guy because I know I don't need this. That's step one. And then, you know, I, I didn't need it, so I couldn't rightfully, sincerely go to God with an open hand or an open heart. Because I was biased in my own heart. I, I knew I wanted this thing and I would do anything to get it. So, Lord, I can't go to you with an open heart or open hand, so I'm not even going to bother you with this. And then I sort of become like Eve in the garden. I can't ask God for it, so I'm just taking myself. Can't come to you, God. I'm going to grab it. And then when I do, figure out I never needed it. Figured out it wasn't best for me. See, James, is a, is a, he's a physician of our hearts. He knows us. The Spirit of God knows us. So James keeps sort of unraveling this thing. Like you don't have because you don't ask. You you don't even go to God with this. And then when you take that step to go to God, you're asking with the wrong motives. You're not asking. You're, 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 You're saying it with your mouth. You have the right reason. But God is looking at your heart like you're not asking with the wrong, with the right motives. Because oftentimes, beloved, we we don't pray to God. We pray upon God. We say, God, you have to give me this. I deserve this. I've earned this. And so we go to God in our prayers, James says, and we're not going sincerely or with an open heart. We're, We're praying upon him. God, you're my servant. Can James get all up in your business for a second? Are you asking God to change your spouse because you really want them to change? Or are you asking God to change your spouse because you want everybody else to think you have a perfect marriage? You want to be able to post those pictures. Get on the gram. Are you asking God to change your kids because you really want God to change their hearts? Or are you asking God to change your kids because you just want more time for yourself? <laughs> Tired of disciplining them little bad kids. Are you asking God for a new job, new career? Because you really want to provide for your family or Are you asking God for a new job, new career, because the world has given you this fleeting meaning of success, and you want that at whatever cost? Man, I think at the end of the day, our our prayer life stinks. It, It smells to the high heavens because God sees right through us. He knows our hearts Beloved, he knows what we're asking, but check this out. Don't, 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 don't leave me yet. The solution is not to stop praying. You won't find in James chapter 4 that he says, you know what you have? You don't have because you don't ask, and when you do ask, you ask with the wrong motives. So, Christian, just stop praying. That's not what he says, y'all. It's like James knows that God can sort through our sordid passions and desires. He can handle that. 
He can handle you lying to him with your mouth, but he's seeing something else in your heart. He, he can deal with that. You, you go to God, and James is like, he'll sort that out. And you will find oftentimes that when, when God doesn't answer your, what you really wanted, man, I figured it out in my own life, man. I've asked God, petitioned God, begged God, fasted and prayed. God said no. And then years later, I look back like, man, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, you didn't answer that request. I don't know where I would have been. So the solution is not, no, you take all that baggage before him. He'll sort it out. Maybe with time, how he answers. He'll, he'll sort it out. Next point, our, our longing for the world, it, it oftentimes mutes God's longing for us. Y'all, beloved, man, James is hard. Out of nowhere, in verse 4, he throws this adultery word at us. So he's passionate, desire, and all something. He says, adulterous people. Man, that's tough. James is sort of picking up this prophetic language. Right? You know, the prophets of old, they will always do this. They will always sort of compare our relationship to God as a marriage. And when we, when we flee to other things, they would often use the word, Adultery, I mean, uh, the whole book of Hosea is like portraying this. That we run after other things, we're cheating on God. But notice, James connects it in this amazing way with like friendship. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world? What, what in the world, James, does, does friendship have to do with adultery? University of Colorado did a study. And they found out that somewhere between 85 and 88% of all extramarital affairs start with a close friendship. This isn't like a marriage seminar, beloved, but, but it is sort of getting us to understand how our relationship to God works as well. It never just, it never just sort of happens. A, a closeness develops. Maybe a little flirting happens. A couple of crossing boundaries. Then disaster strikes. James says no different with our relationship with God. Now, we've we, we sort of been developing a friendship with the world for quite some time. Flirting with the world. Crossing boundaries we know we shouldn't cross. And then disaster strikes. And law, we, we leave our first love for something that's going to leave us anyway. Man, we don't, we don't, we don't start. Yeah, remember when you, man, you first came to know the Lord. Old song we sing in the church, take me, take me back. Take me back to that moment I, I first believed. You, did, you didn't start off hating your prayer life. Nah, we, we, we began to develop a friendship with our own self-sufficiency. We begin to flirt with our own autonomy, like, Lord, I got this. No, we didn't, we didn't start off hating reading our Bibles, beloved. No, we didn't start off that way. But we, we began to develop a friendship with other thoughts and opinions. We, we began to flirt with worldly philosophies. We don't start off hating Christ as king. We didn't start that way. No, we, we began to develop a friendship with this world and 
politics as if something else can save us. Flirting, crossing boundaries. We don't start off hating the people of God. Nah, we, we begin to develop a friendship, a little flirtation with just a little gossip. Just, just a little bit of slander. Just a little bit of inaccurate posts on Facebook. And all of a sudden, disaster strikes. Now, to be clear, brothers and sisters, when James talks about friendship with the world, he's not talking about people. James makes this point over and over again, but he's talking about sort of these worldly ideologies, these passions, these desires, our selfishness that wages war. Notice, James 4, man, God is like all or nothing. You can be friends with your selfishness, but you're going to be enemies of God. And you can be friends with your pride, but you're going to be enemies with God. God is an all or nothing God. This was the children of Israel's problem all throughout the Old Testament. It wasn't like, God, I, I, I want somebody else to be God. It was always like, God, can you move over a little bit on your throne? And can my own arrogance take a little space? It was always God and something. And James is like, God is like God and me, and that's it. Bring your passions. You can have that, but you're going to be enemies to God. And as Christians, we, we feel this, y'all. We, we feel this. Not just in some theoretical sense. Man, like, it's like, it's, in, it's internal. James sort of hits us and, and reminds us, y'all, we, we have the spirit of God in us. We have the spirit of God, James says in verse 5. And that spirit is a jealous spirit. Envies, the Bible says, intensely because that spirit wants us to look more like Jesus Christ. That spirit knows that the path you're going down leads to more heartache and more pain. And he envies in us intensely, checking us. He's correcting us. It's not something you ate when you feel some type of way, when you're about to do something you know you shouldn't be doing. That's the spirit envying intensely. He's jealous for you. It's not your, your speech teacher's fault. When you begin to stutter and stammer, when you're about to say something you know you shouldn't say. It's the spirit sort of like, I got to tie up this brother's tongue to give him a little time before he says this. Before he lights a whole forest on fire. He envies inside of us intensely. It's no coincidence, brothers and sisters, that your phone rings at that moment you get ready to browse something you know you shouldn't be browsing. Spirit is it's like, man, I got I to gotta interrupt this brother and sister. It's not accidental that you're here right now in your own passions, and desires have wreaked havoc in your life this past week. It's no accident you're here right now and we open up the text of James and God is saying to you that his spirit in, in you is envious. He's jealous for you. 
It's no accident that you're hearing this. It's not God condemning you. It's God calling you. It's calling you. I'm not talking to you. The Spirit is talking to you. He's calling you. He's he's drawing me, as we just sang, closer still. Closer still. Last point. Our grace received. It should overflow to the grace that is given. Man, but God. It was, it was, it was Maddie, a dear sister, who said in her testimony time a couple weeks ago, those are two of the most powerful words in Scripture. But God, verse 6, he gives greater Grace, how, how many of us need some greater grace? Lord, more grace. That, that can just simply be a prayer of our heart. Lord, greater grace. We, we wake up in the morning, Lord, like, Lord, greater grace. We, we get in ready to confront something, Lord, greater grace. We find ourselves at that moment of temptation, like, Lord, greater grace. Greater, that's a simple prayer. But it sort of answers everything that we need in every single moment. Lord, I need more of your grace. Verses 6 through 10 are like the backdrop to the rest of 11 through 12. We should read 11 through 12, you know, after, like good reading, after we read verses 6 through 10. In other words, God's grace to us should be the driving force on how we treat everybody else. I mean, look at verses 16. Man, it's, it's so good. God gives greater grace. Hallelujah. Resist the devil and he will flee. My goodness, hallelujah. God doesn't give a command that he doesn't give the grace in order to meet that command, y'all. He gives us command because he's going to give a grace to do it. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. That's a promise I'm taking home with me today. Resist him and he will flee from you. We can have clean hands and a pure heart, man. Hallelujah. We know how nasty our hearts and hands are. James 6, 2 and following says we can have clean hands and a pure heart. And not only that, but we're low, but God can exalt us. We can be exalted before our Heavenly Father. Man, hallelujah. And then we read in order. That's the backdrop. Then we get to verse 11. And it's like, after you've read that, why in the world would you criticize another brother or sister when you're just in need of grace as they are? That's why we read in order. That's why teachers taught us, left to right. Hebrew, right to left, right, Julian? That's right. Amen, bro. We, we read it that way, and it's, it's ordered that way, so you're like, you're in that moment like, Lord, yes, Lord, thank you. Man, I need more grace. Thank you, Lord. No, Satan, not today, Satan, not today. We ain't going there with you today. Yes, Lord, I can, I can have clean hands. Thank you for purifying my heart. And then a brother and sister is doing something. You're like, man, I can't believe they did that. James is like, man, didn't you just read verse 6 through 10? Don't you have the same need of the same God that they do? There's, there's only one. There's only one lawgiver and judge, and you are not it. 
Man, look to your neighbor. Say, I'm not the lawgiver. I'm not the judge. You can do it at home, too. I see you at home. You're just sitting there. You can say it. It was sitting around you. Say it, say it to the dog and say it to the cat if the cat's sitting there. You Definitely say it to the cat if you got a cat at home. Check this out. He's able to save and to destroy. He's able to save and to destroy the impetus, the, the driving force behind all of Scripture is that we're praying for God to save, not to destroy. We're praying, Lord, you, you can save anybody. Lord, you're the one judge. You're the one lawgiver. You are holy. Lord, you can save them. Damn, sort of ends on that note. Like, who... Who are, who are us? Who, who, who are we to judge? And we sat under the same condemnation. Who, who, do, who are we to judge when our sins were to the top of our heads just like their sins at the top of their heads? Who do we are judge when we, we sin a little differently than what they sin? He ends that way because he, he wants us to marinate. Glorious rhetorical question. Who are you to judge your neighbor? You know the, the extent of God's grace in your life? You know how far Christ came to save you and I? Do you know even now he's given greater grace? Even now he's given strength to resist the adversary? Even now he's purifying our hands and our hearts and washing our mouths out with soap? Even now he's cleansing us? Even now he's drawing us? Even now he's calling us? Even now he's bringing us near man. He's able to save and destroy. Our prayers should be, Lord, save my neighbor. Save my brother. Now, now, maybe the reason why you're sitting here today is because somebody prayed that for you. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord, you are the one judge. The one lawgiver. So we plead, we plead before you, O oh Lord, save. Save, save. Help us, Spirit. Keep, keep pricking us. Keep stopping us in our tracks. Keep reminding us. We need you. We need you. Pray these things in Christ's name.